here we are again, pivoting, huh? And yet uh, there's been a lot of laughter and uh, opportunities to serve and encourage and uh, maybe be helped a little bit. And we'll just keep pivoting as much as we need to. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes that my words don't make a difference as far as impacting most of us in our lives. And uh, that's okay. That's okay if you can't hear me all the time. Um, you know, some of us, maybe my delivery is a little dry or boring. I, you know I can take a point and just milk it and beat a dead horse until it has no life left in it. And I know we all have our own stuff. We come here tired, a lot of us. It's been busy and distracting. We didn't know what we were going to find when we came here. We all got our own stuff. But I keep at this in the hope that in Jesus Christ and in the power of His Holy Spirit, some of these words, some of the time, even if it's infrequently, are going to worm their way in and are going to turn our minds to thinking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And if that happens, suddenly everything I do is worthwhile. And uh, I've been with you guys, this is three years today, a three-year mark. So you have, thank you, thank you. I know you're clapping for yourself because you have endured three years of God is good to us. And even though there's a lot of craziness going on, there is a lot of goodness and sweetness and life represented in this fellowship. And uh, some of you are old faces, some of you are new faces, and the mix just keeps happening. And But God is good to us. And I just want to acknowledge that today. So we're continuing our series called The Call of the King. And uh, we're looking at and asking the question, what kind of priority are we giving Jesus Christ in our lives? And uh, I've said, while it's true that there are costs to saying, you know, Jesus, no thank you. Thanks, but no thanks. There are costs to that. And it's also true that we play all kinds of games that comes up, come up with all kinds of excuses. Well, I'd rather not be here. I'd rather not do this. I'd rather not, you know, behold myself in some way to these people. That is still the smaller part of the story, I think. The bigger part of the story of the call of King Jesus is the goodness of the king himself. The goodness that we find in his person and in his being, as well as in his message and what he shared and taught. And last Sunday, we observed that the call of the king, the call of King Jesus, is a good call because it's a call to relationship. He's building a relationship with us. Now, I've, I've just got to say also that a lot of people who would listen to me talk about the beauty of Jesus, they'll just think, uh, here's another foolish ostrich putting his head in the sand, really not aware of the real issues of this world or this life. Um, but let me say, I want to push against that assumption a little bit and say, from where I stand, there is nothing more practical 
than time we spend thinking about Jesus. There's nothing more practical than trying to apply His teachings to our own life. And consequently, there's nothing more productive or fruitful for your well-being than time spent thinking about Jesus, considering Jesus, listening to the words of Jesus, trying to understand Him, even the confusing things, and then trying to imagine and think about how you can apply them to your life, how they could fit into your life. And it's true. People will say and think, well, Calvin, you are ignorant to the real issues that are happening right now in this world. Real issues in this world right now. There is significant suffering from the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan. Uh, there's drought and wildfires affecting some of us very personally, and at least have, if not currently. The surge in hospitalizations across the nation worker shortages, uh, climate crisis, uh, this Delta variant of COVID-19, uh, a Category 4 hurricane that could make landfall in Louisiana as I'm up here preaching. This world is falling apart and you're offering me warm, fuzzy thoughts about Jesus? Really? There are a lot of voices screaming at us about what the real issues are. There are a lot of voices screaming at us about where you need to stand, what you need to be afraid of, what you need to worry about, what you need to be angry about. These are the real-life issues that you need to make informed decisions about. But who is teaching you how to love? Who's teaching you how to love? And when people come at you with a condescending tone and in their pride of intellect say things like, Jesus, really? You can simply answer, well, who else, who else did you have in mind? I will take the answers that Jesus gives and put them up against anyone else in all of human history. Answers that have stood the test of time and have changed lives for millennia. Jesus is my King because He gives me a place to stand. He teaches me things that I'm not learning anywhere else. I'm not learning things that I need to know anywhere else like I am when I sit at the feet of Jesus. And the call that He gives us is a call to relationship and it's a call to be together. So that's where I kind of want to, that's where I left off last week. That's what I want to build on this morning. So if it's true that God wants a relationship with me, if God wants to be in a love relationship with me, then why doesn't He make it easier for us to find Him? Why doesn't He make it easier for us to discover Him. And I just want to unpack this a little bit because it's a really good question. Why is it that God is so hidden from us? Why isn't He more obvious? 
And I think this is part of the goodness of his call to us, is that it requires us to seek him. It requires action on your part to go looking for him. You have to have skin in the game, in other words. And the more you search, the more you are changed. As we are changed, the more you discover. You see, when we search for God, when we search for Jesus Christ, it grows our love. It grows our faith. We are transformed in the pilgrimage to find God. You know, and the truth is, our hearts, they need renovation. What is it? Uh, this is an aside. The, the Grinch who stole Christmas, his heart grew three sizes that day, or whatever it is Dr. Seuss had out there. Um, our hearts need to be expanded. Our hearts need to grow. So that we, as we progressively discover God, as we get closer to Him, we need to be transformed so that our hearts are big enough that we can stand to be in His company. We can stand Him. We can't stand God, a lot of us. Can't li- don't like Him, don't want Him, can't stand Him. There's a lot of heart work that needs to be done in order to enjoy fellowship and company with Him. And another reason that God hides is because He gives us a free will choice. If God were less hidden than He is, we really wouldn't have a choice. If God wanted to, He could have painted in the clouds that I'm looking at. It's a clear sky right now, but if there were clouds, every morning when I got up, He could have posted up there the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount. Imagine that, written in clouds. Whenever anyone did something he doesn't like and something that makes him sad or angry, that person could simply fall down dead. Do you think that wouldn't get conformity quickly? That would get conformity very quickly, wouldn't it? You see, God, he's not interested in creating robots. He's not interested in robots. He's interested in lovers. And it takes a real free will choice to allow love to grow. For love to grow, we have to be free to choose. See, God is love, the Scriptures tell us. God is love, and love. what love wants is love wants to be chosen. Love wants to be sought. Love wants to be discovered. So when King Jesus says to, says to you and I, come to me, stay with me, be with me, remain in me, abide in me. He's inviting us into a relationship of love. But relationship always implies movement and responsibility on our part. If it's a real love relationship, You and I have to get some skin in the game and we have to choose it. One-way love does not work. So the call of King Jesus is a call to search for Him. It's a call to pilgrimage. It's a search for our lover. So you think about how, how do people go about searching for lovers in our culture? I... It's interesting. There's phone things. You can just flip through people. 
And uh, I've not done this. I've seen this. I can't imagine being in a world of dating and... First of all, I'm very bad at it. I'm inept, and it's by the grace of God. I found the woman who I was able to find. 25 years, she's put up with me. Praise God. You think about the, that kind of casual, the, the shallowness of, well, this is a, these criteria. Well, maybe if we can build off of that then. At least there's attraction. And see, the call of your king is a call to be his lover. I'm not trying to be crass or rude or anything like that. But love wants to be sought. Love wants to be discovered. The Bible talks a lot about this. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, If from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you look for Him with all your heart and with all your soul. All your heart and all your soul. That's how you have to go into this relationship. Jeremiah 29, uh, this famous verse that we all hear the part, for you know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He says in the, Jeremiah says these words, these are, this is God speaking, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Second Chronicles 16.9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. He's searching for us as well. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and you, if you look for it as if silver, as if for silver, searching for it as if it is hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 8.17 I love those who love me, and those who diligently, who diligently seek me will find me. Jesus says it this way, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. The author of Hebrews says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is trust. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Do you earnestly seek your lover? See, the goodness of the call of King Jesus is an invitation to go looking for Him. And the promise is that when we seek Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we will in fact, discover things along the way that we will, in fact, find Him. And the wonder and mystery of the goodness of this call of King Jesus is we discover along the way, simultaneously, Jesus is the map. At the same time, Jesus is our constant traveling companion. And at the same time, Jesus is the destination. The one who tells us how to do it, he's also the one doing it with us. And it takes us a while to figure out he's the one that we are going to. It's all these discoveries we make along the path of pilgrimage. He shows us where we're going. He helps us get where we're going. He is where we're going. That's pretty profound. 
all the ways that he comes to us and helps us. So I would say nothing is more important or practical than our search for God, your search for God. You show up here week after week. You've endured me for three years because you believe something about the importance of this search for God. And once again, the goodness is in his message, but the goodness is also in his person and the qualities that we find in Jesus's heart. So last week we talked a lot about the compassion of Jesus. Today, as we finish up, I want to talk about the humility of Jesus. You see, it is the humility of your king that brings him close to us as our traveling companion. Even especially among those who are brokenhearted, among those who have messed up and make mistakes who are otherwise broken or disgusting or perverted or whatever. It's the humility of God that brings him close to those who are downcast and those who are hurting. Once again, from Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, we need to think about these words deeply as well. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am gentle and humble in heart. See, the reason why we are safe to come to our king, to answer the call of our king, to learn from our king, is because of his gentleness and his humility. Our aspects and qualities of the depths of his love. How many of you uh, have had teachers in your life that you describe as gentle and humble? How many presidents or bosses or politicians or governors or people who are in some way over you would you describe as gentle and humble? Probably not many, and if you do, you probably remember something about them uh, because they are special. Jesus is a whole other thing. I just want to say it is beyond our comprehension to imagine divinity setting aside divinity in order to take hold of humanity. That is the wonder of the Incarnation, Jesus putting on flesh. The prophet Isaiah says this about Christ's humility from Isaiah 42, 2 and 3. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He's humble. He's gentle. He knows how to deal with us gently. And you know, this is good news for us. You know why? It's because our souls are so shy. We have an innate sense that people who are prideful, they are not safe to trust with our wounds and our vulnerabilities. Who are safe to trust with our wounds and our brokenness? Jesus is a king like no other because he is the only one with the meekness, the humility, the gentleness, and the patience we need to allow us to trust enough to reveal our brokenness and our wounds to him. 
heard me say this before, and I say this from my friend because it reached me deeply. You know, no matter what kind of pretense you're putting up, each and every one of us is sitting next to a puddle of our own tears. And the goodness of our King is that He is gentle enough and patient enough to wait for us to finally give Him some attention. To not be lost in all the screaming voices clamoring for our attention that He can wait quietly for us to come to our senses enough that we begin to look for Him again. There's all of these voices. This is what you need to worry about. This is what you need to fear. These are the people that you need to run out of patience with and be angry with because they have... So I don't know what those voices are, whether it's the collective opinions of your coworkers or groupthink in your vocation or your educational environment, whether it's Fox News or NPR or whatever. How many of these voices screaming at us can you describe as patient and gentle and humble? Your king doesn't come to you screaming, but patiently waiting for you to come to your senses to look for something different and look for something better. He teaches us how to ask better questions. And because your king is humble, because he's so humble, he is free to come into our darkest night and our deepest, most shameful places. Our places of greatest need subsequently. And he also gives us not just the healing we need, but he gives us an example that we are to follow. Familiar words from John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. All things under my power, and I'm going to be with God. What is that thought in Jesus then? What am I going to do with that kind of power? He got up from the meal and took out his outer clothes and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water in a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And then there's this whole interlude with Simon because he just can't comprehend this. Can't, it doesn't have a category for this one. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he said. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater 
than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Have we tried on this reality? Have we tried on the reality of John 13? You know, I, when I've been a part of like foot washing things, it's always uncomfortable and uh, very awkward in our culture and uh, the way we are about things and feet. Uh, but are you washing people's feet in your life? Whatever foot washing looks like in your context, as a child, as a parent, as a friend, as a employer, as an employee, or how are you washing feet in these places? The first part of our pil- uh, part of our pilgrimage into the humility of Jesus is to let Him wash our feet, and after we've learned to let Jesus wash our feet, we are called to wash the feet of others. The humility of our King, the humility of who He is in His person, frees us to both serve and to be served. Paul says it this way in Romans 12, uh, verse 3, For it is by the grace given to me that I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. You see, it takes a lot of faith. And what what is faith? Faith is trust. It takes a lot of trust to be able to take a good long deep at our own garbage and not be overwhelmed by it. A good long deep at my own puddle of tears and not be broken by it. See, as we learn humility from our King, from our teacher Jesus, we can handle more of the reality about who you are in your brokenness and your neediness and also your beauty and your glory. As we learn humility in the way that we treat ourselves, in the way that we treat others, it will always point you back to the humility of King Jesus. Just like faith calls to faith, so humility calls to humility. And the lesser always learns from the greater. Lesser humility will always be taught by greater humility. The mystery of the depths of God's humility in Jesus will eternally call us further on and further in. I believe that. And humility is so important because the greater the humility, the greater the freedom. Humility deals in reality. The greater our freedom, the greater our choice, the greater our freedom, the more free we are, the greater our capacity to give and receive love. God is love. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And what Jesus shows in his humility is that you can trust that. Take that to the bank and count on it. So to close, we're going to read with uh, Paul's words from Philippians about the humility of Christ. Philippians chapter 2. I'll start in verse 3. Paul says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. 
Each of you should not look to your only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance of, as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His humility is tied to his glory and his wondrous power. So our invitation today is an invitation to recognize that our part in his call to come and search for him, it's good for us. It's good for us to go on pilgrimage looking for Jesus, looking for God. We grow in that journey. And the second part is the goodness of his person. He shows us what true humility looks like and he teaches us how to be humble. And there's not a lot of people trying to live in this world to play that game. So our last words come from Luke in the words of Jesus himself. And this is our invitation and then we'll stand and sing after this. Who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Let's sing together.